Welcome to Eurodollar University. I'm Jeff. We've got a lot to go over today. Uh, let's see, we had commodities crashing, we've got currencies crashing, markets doing all sorts of stuff. We got curves going absolutely crazy and insane. What else? Oh, there were some rate hikes, I guess. They weren't really important to me, but other people seem to want to talk about it. And given all that stuff, I can already hear you asking the first question that comes to mind, where's Emil? And I'm sad to say that the Fed has put a bounty on his head and poor Emil has gone, payable in bank reserves, of course, and poor Emil has gone into hiding. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the hurricane that's barreling down in the Caribbean and the Caribbean islands. It's definitely Federal Reserve has now been irked by Emil's presence on the internet and is seeking to get him off of social media. That's where Emil is today. So unfortunately, helping me fill in, <clears throat> excuse me, see, I'm already choked up. Helping me fill in for Emil's massive absence, my good buddy, Stephen Van Meter. Hi, Steve, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great, Jeff. And uh, yes, uh, while we deny all whereabouts of Emil, uh, everything you've just heard is 100% true. And he does send his best and we'll be back as soon as he can. Yeah, it's definitely 100% true, especially the part about bank reserves. I think the Fed was trying to prove something with, uh, with, some, with that. Uh, you can spend them. See, they do leak out into the real economy. They're just in the form of illegal bounties. <laughs> so where do you want to start? I mean, what a week, right? I mean, everything that's that could happen has happened. Uh, we've got all the R's to talk about. We've got rate hikes. We've got recession fears. We've got markets that are reacting. Markets are doing crazy things. Should we start with just the rate hikes? Because, I mean, that's what everybody else wants to talk about. And um, obviously, it's a big deal. 75 basis points. We got dots. We got everything else to go along with it. Yeah, I mean, of all, I guess I used to be excited about Fed meetings, but now I just listen to Nick Timmers of the Wall Street Journal. Whatever he writes about the day before, I'm like, oh, if he said 75 basis points, you might as well just turn off the news because there's a really high probability that he's got it nailed. And he did, but and, but what's interesting to me, Jeff, is you know we knew about this, right? We and that's what the Fed's whole goal is: forward guidance. You know, they don't want to spook the markets. And and what do you hear? You know, on FinTwit and everyone else, people are like, okay, this is going to be bullish. You know, the Fed's going to hike, then they're going to pause, and and it's going to be bullish for stocks. And all of a sudden, it's like, no, turn out not to be bullish for stocks. So it, it, I guess my question, maybe for you, is. Is, does the Fed have control over the stock market here with rate hikes? Is, are they pulling some magic lever to drain liquidity, or is this just uh, a bunch of nothing? Oh, you know my view on this. The Fed's, I don't want to say completely irrelevant, because obviously it's a topic of, not just a topic of conversation. It does have an effect on markets, particularly in the short end of the yield curve. And I, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how the Fed is actually trying to punish the stock market in order to accomplish its goals because various economic theories that say wealth effect, you know, stocks signal the economy, and if stocks are robust, that continues to inflate inflation expectations. Because as you know, Steve, that's what this is about. Rate hikes are not about consumer prices. This is all about psychology. And what better way to manipulate psychology, at least from the, from the uh, orthodox perspective, the orthodox economic perspective, than to hike rates beyond any, you know, any what uh, people had been thinking beforehand. Everybody thought the Fed would do a couple percent and then they would stop. So let's do more and see what happens in the stock market because Powell 
the FOMC, certain members have signaled that they do want, to, they, they're not comfortable with stocks. And I think, um, didn't you see after the, the Jackson Hole or, or before Jackson, after the July meeting where the stock market was sort of optimistic or took the dovish take from, a, from that uh, FOMC meeting. And uh, apparently the news has leaked that the Fed was not happy about that. So there is this sense that the Fed is trying to punish the stock market in order to help it accomplish its goal, which is not really consumer prices, it's manipulating psychology. But it works. And so this is something I think people really need to understand is why does the Fed even care about the stock market? Obviously, there's no correlation to the federal funds rate and the you know price of Amazon share. I mean, there's none. You can try and find it. It doesn't exist. But when you hear you know a Fed chief come out there and say, look, I'm going to keep tightening things up. That puts the fear. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to scare the markets into saying, look, if, if they do something, whatever it is they're doing, maybe it will have a bad outcome. And maybe I should perhaps back off my risk. And that's really what they want, because we go back far enough. We could go back to Alan Greenspan, who figured out that, hey, monetary policy is pretty ineffective here. We've been working on this for a while. It doesn't seem to do anything, but we need inflation. So how do you drive something that you don't have a lot of control over? Well, simple. You can use the wealth effect. If I can make people feel richer or give them the idea that in the future there are going to be richer, well, it's simple. They will go consume today, perhaps even borrow money today, and then that will drive the economy and create inflation. So you think about the markets here. Now, does it really impact the average American? Well, not so much because you know 10% of the market is owned by 90 or no, let me get this wrong. I got it wrong. 90% of the market is owned by 10% of the people. So if you think about the average American, if you drove the stock market to zero, it doesn't change their day-to-day -day operations. It, they may, I mean, I'm sure they'd be slightly upset about it, but they wouldn't even really know. So what this is really the goal is, is to drive consumption down by getting people to be afraid. And does it work? Well, certainly appears to be working. Well, let's say, and I don't, it, the dirty secret of the financial services industry, fund managers, portfolio managers, is they love to believe in the Fed, the idea of the Fed put, right? And then if there's a Fed put, then there's got to be the opposite to that, which is if Jay Powell is no longer your friend, you can't own risky assets. I mean, that was the, that was the not just narrative, but that was the operating paradigm in March of 2020, into especially April and forward, is that the government, the Federal Reserve, they were going to do everything they could to support markets. In fact, Jay Powell went on 60 Minutes in May of 2020 and lied his ass off just so that this would happen, that, that people would say, hey, I need to buy stocks because the Fed is printing money and the government's printing money. It doesn't matter. I don't have any downside risk because the Fed is my friend. The Fed put isn't just real. It's enormous. And if you believe that, and if you had believed that over the last couple of years, all of a sudden, Jay Powell's not your friend. Everybody who piled in the self-fulfilling prophecy in 2020 is now piling out because they no longer have Jay Powell to say, I've got the market supported. So it makes sense from a psychological standpoint in the stock market that there would be some form of some kind of some kind of sentimental impact there. Although I think there's a lot more going on. And we also know that central bankers themselves know there's a lot more going on and that they're not attempting to actually influence the economy, at least not directly. I mean, Christine Lagarde, the ECB, 
first ever 75 basis point rate hike earlier this month. And she was asked and she said, let me pull up the quote here. I cannot reduce the price of energy. I cannot convince big players to reduce gas prices. Monetary policy is not going to bring down the price of energy. And it was even better earlier in February before she even hiked rates, she was saying, why am I even bothering hiking rates? It doesn't do anything. It's not gonna fix this problem. This is February, Christine Lagarde. Now, if we were to take monetary policy action by way of gradually putting an end to asset purchase prices and rapidly hiking interest rates, which she didn't wanna do at the time, would that have an impact on energy prices right away? I don't think so. Would that some suddenly unleash shipping, handling of containers and truck driving? I don't think so. <laughs> so she, there she is on tape admitting rate hikes are not going to be, not gonna fix the problems that we have. It's not gonna fix the supply shock. So it begs the question, what's the point? Why are they doing this? And as you said, Steve, is to get people into the, the right psychological state. Now, in more formal terms, what the central bankers will say is that inflation expectations become hardened when energy prices go up and stay up, right? So they're thinking that you and I, Steve, as consumers are going to start expecting inflation more over and over to be sustained because nobody can fix energy prices. Nobody can seem to fix the supply chains. And so they have to do something before expectations get cemented. And that's just, I mean, that's not what you think of when you think of central banking, this, this sort of psychology. But yet it works. And so that's what's interesting because again, we come back to if I feel like I'm gonna be wealthier or maybe it's just I hear a rumor that, hey, the boss is gonna come along and give everybody a, a Christmas bonus this year. And you know, here, I, here it is you know, late September, early October. And I'm like, man, there's a, a Christmas bonus coming. And I look, go out and I get in my car. And I'm like, man, I've had this car for 10 years and gosh, you know, uh, it's, it needs new tires and you know whatnot. And maybe I go like, hey, I'm gonna get that bonus. So I'm gonna take some of my savings now and go get that car because boy, I'm gonna get that bonus and it's gonna be re replenished. But on the other side of the story is, what if I think things are going to get worse? What if I believe that, hey, these rate hikes are going to make a difference or this quantitative tightening is going to drive stock prices down or whatever these things that people believe are gonna happen, happen. How does that change my spending? Well, I might, instead of thinking I'm gonna bonus, I might be thinking I'm gonna get a pink slip. So perhaps then my attitude changes. I, maybe I save more. I go start pulling out my credit card bills and hey, better get these things chopped down pretty quick because you know, unemployment benefits aren't as generous as they were during the pandemic. And that psychological change, as Jeff, you and I both know, can have a major impact because, you know, I hate, one thing I hear all the time, how come the president doesn't tell us the truth that we're in a recession? Or how come the central bankers don't really give us the truth? Because imagine this, what if President Biden or Jerome Powell got on the airways tonight and said, hey, you know what? we really are in a recession. And you know what? It's gonna be pretty bad. What do you think would happen the very next day? And so I kind of like to go back to Reagan, who was dealing with a double dip recession. And yeah, they started fudging the, the, the government data a little bit, but what did they start doing? They started giving people the impression that the job market was plentiful. And what happened? The psychology worked. People started thinking, hey, there's a lot of jobs out there. I'll go look for one. And next thing you know, it worked. See, that's the thing. I don't know. I mean, 
does it work? Does it work in the sort of post-crisis era too? I mean, yeah, obviously there's an effect on the stock market because we all talk about it. It's accepted as, as whatever. I mean, why does valuations get so stretched before the pandemic? Because everybody believed the Fed, the government, the, the, the whole economic boom narrative. But does it really have an impact in that way? I mean, are stocks actually declining and staying on the, the, the you know, they've been down since what? Last November, October, December? I mean, it's been a long slide here and they're getting lower and lower. Is that be, is it really because of rate hikes or is it because of the other R word? And the other R word, as you just said, is recession. Are people afraid of Jay Powell? Maybe in the short run. I would make, I would, I mean, I think you can make a case and I think you make a compelling case that the Federal Reserve does have a psychological sentimental impact in the short run. But beyond the short run, I think that's dubious. And I think it's the last 15 years certainly show that as much as there should have been a wealth from effect from the stock market, there really wasn't. There might have been in isolated instances and in certain scenarios, but I don't know. I, I, I think the evidence shows that it, it's more about um, trying to explain how QE could work than how it actually does work. And people just like to accept it because you look at stocks and say, what else could it be than money printed? Whereas in the flip side, I, I know I got to believe that it's both things combined. I think people are saying, yes, Jay Powell is no longer my friend. And oh, by the way, neither is the global economy. So it's like, if maybe if the global economy really was, as Powell said earlier in the year, where the labor market was really good, and we're just transitioning, we're just slowing down into more stable growth, stocks probably would not have reacted as much as they have. So I think, you know, it's one of those things where you're a fund manager or portfolio manager, and you say, I don't have Jay Powell as my friend anymore, and the environment is increasingly awful. Now, we can have a discussion about why the recession is happening and why the environment is increasingly awful, but I think it's more and more as time goes by, especially as you see the Fed stop and turn around, that it'll be more about the recession than it is about the rate hikes. And to me, that's where you get into all the other markets that aren't stocks like you know bond markets and curves that are sending just crazy, crazy signals right now. Right. So I think this is a great topic because we, as we talk about stocks, we could say, and let's come back to these curve inversions because they were a kind of a leading indicator of what is the coming. But perhaps the stock market isn't reacting to monetary policy like people think, because let's go back to last quarter earnings. And we're just in the early phases of, of where we're at now with earnings. And what did we hear last quarter? Oh, well, we might have a little bit of an inventory problem that this, this, this weirdo Jeff Snyder has been talking about. But trust us he's completely wrong he has no idea what he's talking about we we're going to clean the inventory up don't you worry right but don't he is worry a weirdo. huh but he is a weirdo that was yeah. right <laughs> right yeah because he's uh, hanging out with me so but now as we come into this earning seasons what did we hear from fedex hey sh shipping volumes are down but wait a minute not us just us shipping volume global shipping volumes and what did the ceo tell us and i think this is really important that people are missing out on is he said hey we thought when china started to reopen the volumes would come back up and they didn't and what happened and their stock got hammered and i think now we're what we're starting to figure out or at least the markets are starting to price and is like wait a minute maybe that jeff snyder guy is not so wrong after all maybe they didn't get rid of all that inventory and maybe we're about to hear this earnings season is oh we not only do we have a load of inventory that we can't sell We've got containerfuls of this stuff that's about to land on the porch for the holiday season. And guess what? We don't have a buyer for that either. 
not just containers, warehouses full. I think Amazon said that they're going to, they're, what are they, they're, they're ditching 50 or 60 or 70. I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's, you know, we've got too many warehouses full of stuff that we need to get rid of. And you can't do that, you know, it, unless the, uh, unless the economy really is as robust as you thought it would be, you're going to take some pain as Powell likes to say, it's not rate hike pain, it's inventory pain. But I also think, you know, the other part of this is prices themselves. We see this in, for example, the EIAs, the energy, U.S. Energy Information Administration's petroleum and gasoline demand and use statistics. You saw gasoline go like this in March when prices spiked the first time, and they have never come back. Even as gasoline prices have fallen since mid-June, fallen precipitously, not because things are getting better, but because they're getting worse. We're heading down the wrong road. So you could see that the economy, it wasn't rate hikes. The supply shock ends as they have historically ended in the past with something like a recession. Because what happens is you have prices that simply redistribute economic activity in all the wrong ways. Do we really wanna be paying more for oil and shipping goods? That's, that's over, over any amount of time uh, economically unproductive. So the supply shock was probably inevitably going to be, I'm gonna use the word here, transitory, even if it takes more than a year, that is still transitory on a macroeconomic scale. And we're just now starting to see widespread recognition that, oh yeah, this, maybe this is how it was going to go. As, the, as you said, Steve, the bond curves, euro dollar futures, all those things had predicted going back to last year, which by the way, was months and months and months, not even just before aggressive rate hikes, before the first, well, the Fed was still talking about tapering. The markets were saying this was likely how it was going to end up. And as, as these things become more and more apparent, I think it's more about the recession risk than it is rate hike risk. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, people keep saying is inflation isn't transitory. It's not coming down. But I, I think it's important to remind people is, you know, there are some things that aren't going to change. Rents generally don't come down and other things don't change. And we're not saying that, hey, all of a sudden tomorrow your landlord is going to call you and say, guess what? Uh, half off. I mean, that that's not going to change because that would involve a lot of people taking pay cuts. If you think about inflation from the year over year comp, all that does is have to come back down. And for that to happen, prices just have to stop going up. And I think that's the key of, of why inflation is a being transitory, why you mentioned gasoline prices, why we talk about oil prices, because if we wanted to see inflation continue higher, energy is such a huge component, we would want to look and say, hey, gas prices are still going up, oil prices are still going up. As they come down, that year-over-year comp is going to drop, not to mention we have the strong dollar. And I think this all kind of plays into kind of what you've been saying for, and I don't know how long, I'll let you remind us how long you've been saying it for, that something's going to happen, or at least the curves are telling us, something's going to happen, whether it's by the end of this year or early next year, that's going to cause Powell and all these other central bankers to change their mind completely. And all it has to be is that year over year comp coming way down real fast. Now let's uh, final points here. I think there's a couple of really good points there. Number one is that you're right. Prices tend to, economists say prices tend to be sticky, which means when we talk about disinflation and how supply shocks end, you're right. It doesn't mean that prices go back to the way they were in 2020. Sorry, we're already, we've already been screwed. Um, prices are gonna go up and they're gonna stay that way. 
Uh, oil prices, which tend to be gasoline, energy, some commodities tend to be, they'll come down. But as far as services and some of the other um, goods, those prices will go up. And what we're really saying is they will stop going up and maybe they'll still continue to go up, but they won't go up as fast as they had over the last couple of years. So when we're talking about disinflation and even deflation, it's more spotty than it is. Everybody's going to go back to 2020 prices. That's not going to happen. And the real ominous thing that you just hinted at, Steve, which we'll have to leave for another, another video, the dollar. What is the dollar telling us that we haven't even talked about yet? The dollar is going up and it's going up in a way that should grab your, not just your attention, should grab you by the collar and say, there is something bad going on here and it's not rate hikes. We know it's not rate hikes because other central banks around the world are hiking rates too. And yet their currencies continue to crash. They continue to bleed massive amounts of resources. What we're really talking about is deflationary money. So you combine stock market going down, asset prices falling, recession that may be a little bit worse than people are expecting, maybe even prolonged. And then this deflationary euro dollar, it's a recipe for some really nasty potential. Well, Jeff, I don't think I could finish up with anything better than that. So I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, I think we'll talk about the dollar next time. Yeah, that's, that's a good place to pick it up. So thanks for thanks for helping me fill in or helping us fill in with a meal. We look, we look uh, have him back hopefully next week, assuming everybody, fingers crossed, uh, Cayman Islands does, uh, does not get hit by the major storm and everything's good on the other side. And a reminder, you know, check us out at eurodollar.university. You can check Steve out, his uh, YouTube show, Stephen Van Meter, wildly popular for very obvious reasons. Um, you can check us both out. We have a, a, a research subscription service that for the next couple, next week or so, is it? Next week, next one week, you've got one week left. Today's the 24th. We got till October 1st. You go to marketsinsiderpro.com. Get uh, free reports from Steve, from me, from Tracy Shukart, and uh, what else? PortfolioShield.net if you're interested in investments. And I also have to thank Eurodollar University members who will, will scroll some names at the end of this video. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for all your support there. We're continuing to put out uh, exclusive video content. In fact, I'm about to record more deep dives into the Eurodollar, or Eurodollar mechanics, balance sheet construction, repo and collateral, how all that stuff fits. So you can check that out at the membership site. Uh, and that's it for me. Again, thanks. Thank you, Steve, for joining us. We'll see you again soon.